0: And the things of earth will grow strangely dim In the light
1: of His glory and grace Welcome everybody to another episode of Trans Regret Snoopy Presents The Bible. I have a very special guest today. I have the Reverend Spencer Cantrell with me to talk about 1 Corinthians 13. Welcome, Spencer. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. So this is um, probably the most often quoted and and most popular uh, verse in in the Bible, I I think. Um, But before we really dig into it, why don't you tell people about your life and and how faith plays a part in it?
0: Oh, yeah. Well, um, so... You know, apart from, I mean, as you've said, I'm sort of, I'm one of these titled religious people. Um, I'm, I am a member of the clergy. I'm a priest working in the uh, Episcopal Diocese of Long Island. Um, so my, my parish that I serve is in Brooklyn. Um, and I came here about six years ago. I went to seminary here, which was how I landed kind of initially in the New York area. But I am originally from the South. I grew up in Tennessee. So my faith background is really from that kind of like uh you know the the not not it was never the sort of megachurch uh southern church experience but very like old-time religion very like heavenly highway hymns and like (laughs) 10 not revive things with, like that you know and so it's like it's actually not all bad uh, <laughs> like i grew up um it was it was very you know it was fire and brimstone as i was growing up certainly but i also never had the sense that god didn't love me um or that there wasn't some sort of unconditional um transcendent thing there um i mean even from my earliest memories i think even when i became pretty disenchanted with church as a teenager. Um, as you do, I still, I, I was never, as, as people say, I was, I was one of the ones that was never quite able to be an atheist, um, much as I might have wanted to. <laughs> um, but then I had a, you know, my, my big faith, um, kind of coming back to faith experience was actually in the, like basically in high school. And then into college, I, I became really enamored with the Roman Catholic church, um, kind of discovered this like amazing, um, like from, from what was so kind of, um, small and, uh, backwater where I grew up and sort of, um, inward looking, I I discovered this ancient tradition, um, that was also kind of like non-Anglo centric and like full of all this, like all this, just such an expansive take on the faith that I already sort of had. Um, but I, um, ended up not being able to fully go through with it. I, you know, I'm pretty, I'm pretty like women have to be in leadership. <laughs> <laughs> like, I can't I'm not, uh, I'm not done talking about this and I'm a queer person, you know, so it's like whatever I, so pretty naturally, I found my way into the Episcopal church.
1: Luckily. Um, what was the thing and, and if this is too, is too broad of a question, feel free to, to try to, um, sort of narrow it down, but, what was the drive that you, like, how, how did you interpret the drive that brought you to, like, wanting to serve the church as a profession, like, as a, as a lifestyle? Like, where did that come from and how early do you remember feeling it? Uh, you know, I think it came kind of late for me. I mean, I, I don't know. There,
0: there are certainly people who figure that out, like, in their 50s or 60s. So there's people who have it later, 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 um, much later than me. But I didn't really, you know, I think I grew up enough of, like, enough in, like, a small-town working class kind of thing. Like, it never, well, first of all, we didn't have preachers in the family. There was nobody like that around. Uh, Maybe I had, like, a distant cousin or somebody who was, like, a Pentecostal preacher, Um, but, like, people I never saw, except at, like, a family reunion every five years.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. Um, But then um, part of uh, my time in high school, I had this, like, high school sweetheart who used to take me to her youth group. Um, and her youth minister was doing his MDiv at the time. And he was like the first guy to ever be like, um, you know, have you thought about when you go to college, uh, you might like study Bible or something like that. And I was like college. <laughs> 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 what? Um, so I, it was kind of like, I kind of thought, you know, that kind of made me think initially about it for the first, like studying anything for the first time. And it, so there was always this like, okay, well maybe it'll be religious studies or something. I ended up doing philosophy, um, but with an eye toward um, kind of what, like what some sort of call to the priesthood would look like for me. So that was, just, it was just always in the mix, but that's where it started. And then just being, being in these communities um, that really shaped me early on um, a a few really good priests who kind of took me under their wing and said, yeah, I kind of see the call in you. Like, let's keep working on this. And I formally entered the process when I was 20. So I'm now 28 and I've been a priest for two years. So it's a, it's a long arc, um, (laughs) even for somebody,
1: um, my age. And yeah, if it takes that long to to be, you know, fully uh, sort of t- to go through the, the full sort of process, it requires a lot of commitment. So you, it must have been very strong and you, you must have felt like uh, very committed to it even early on in the process.
0: I just thought it was it was the best way. It was the best kind of life I could imagine. Like I get to just do this. Like I get to just serve God's people in this way. I get to just kind of like wade into this, um, beautiful tradition daily and weekly Sunday in and Sunday out and kind of like be present with people in these most profound moments of life, but also like kind of just in the day-to-day shooting the shit, like <laughs> community life around
1: a parish. Um, it's like, I, there's nothing I'd rather do, you know, <laughs> that sounds really beautiful. Thank you for, for sharing that. So obviously, um, for context here, um, reading something that is a a fairly familiar passage, but one that I think is often uh, misinterpreted or maybe um, misread or misplaced, um, you will have some more information about this than I will. So um, like I said before, if at any point you, you have a thought or you need to interject and say, no, actually what you just said is wrong, I'm not a bible scholar myself i'm not a theologian i'm very enthusiastic about god and about jesus and and about the bible uh, particularly but um i'm not super smart about it yet so i'm hoping to get there someday <laughs> so god willing uh, <laughs> god willing yeah for sure for, to all of us <laughs> yes um so first corinthians is uh, um one of the epistles of paul uh, writing to a church community that has kind of uh, lost their love, essentially, right? They they are um, sort of arguing about who has more or better or more relevant spiritual gifts, and and um, who's you know connect. Essentially, they're arguing about who's who's better in the context of their church, which I think is like a natural. Fallen human desire to like be superior over other people and to and to um you know sort of put yourself up on a podium um but it's um obviously not the best way to love god uh because you're putting yourself in front of the community so in this passage which is about love um we have Paul kind of saying here's it's almost out of place in the context of the letter because he's, he's talking about these very specific things within the church, um, that are kind of less nebulous and less, um, emotional. Um, but this is kind of more of this cloud of knowledge about talking about what love is and what love isn't. It's like he hits this
0: really lucid moment. (laughs) (laughs) He says something, uh, yeah,
1: that seems to come from somewhere else. Uh, at the risk of sounding a little blasphemous, Paul wrote so much that at times it'll feel, to me, it'll feel like, um, yeah, it'll feel kind of out of focus or fuzzy because he gets lost in the minutia of, of um, rules. Paul really loves rules and order. So this particular uh, portion to me feels like he's full, he's on full volume. The lights are, the lights are on. <laughs> he's, uh, he's like, yes. fi- yeah, firing on all <laughs> cylinders here with as clear, concise, uh, of a message as he possibly can. Um, so we'll just dive in. I'm using the ESV. What is, um, what's your preferred translation?
0: You know, I, there's a, there's several that I like the one that's like my, like, just the Bible that's on my desk. My little prayer desk is a little Catholic uh, RSV version, revised standard version, which is kind of like, the new revised standard is like kind of the scholarly standard, I guess. Um, but this is kind of a more ornate, like earlier version of that.
1: Um, but it'll, it'll occasionally preserve some these and those, um, <laughs> things like that. As I get more involved into the Bible, I feel a little more drawn towards the, the more traditional language for, you know, Revised Standard and King James and things like that. Um, there is a certain beauty to the way that those are constructed, uh, as opposed to the ESV, which I think they really, it's, I do feel like it's a beautiful text, but it is one that's kind of, um, they try to cut through a little too much. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. So anyway, yes, uh, let's start. Um, This is 1 Corinthians 13, the way of love. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, And if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. So this alone uh, could be an entire show's worth of discussion because um, he's saying essentially, it's almost a little bit um, anti, not anti-intellectual, but he's putting so much emphasis on this notion of love. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. So this is to say, I think, that uh, Paul doesn't care how eloquent you are or uh, what languages you speak. Uh, if you are not, if you don't have love in that speech or in that language, then you're nothing but static.
0: Yeah. I mean, it draws us to this really kind of fundamental, I'd say not just for Christians, but certainly for people in the Christian tradition that there's this just foundational notion that kind of um, what can we say about what we believe about anything and like in any concise way and it's, well, God is love. So if there's this foundational notion um, that everything else is built on top of um, it's that, and it's the, the idea that um, love may be on this side of the veil the only privileged access that any of us actually have to God is the way that we experience love and community, um, have the way that we experience grace from another person. Um, and I think it's like, you know, as you said, um, very well, I thought, um, this is a letter to like an unruly, very drama infested, (laughs) like (laughs) the early, early Christian church and in a pretty like pretty powerful ancient center of just 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 a lot going on and lots of jockeying for power you can imagine even even just in the city not just in the church but like you um you come to something like being drawn back to this fundamental basic again lucid notion um kind of out of the conflict as you need to it's like i can imagine paul thinking like I'm just going to say this in, like, the clearest terms I can. <laughs> um, <laughs> Let me be absolutely for clear. These, for these folks who, like, have really, you know, the, the, you can read earlier in the, in the uh, texts, um, <laughs> like, um, it's, about, it's about this fundamental, um, what it is to be in this following Christ thing, right? Um, and, and this is what he is trying to make no bones about, I think.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I want to go back to the point that you made about God as love because this is something that I think is um, kind of a slippery notion for a lot of people. Um, I talked in a previous episode a little bit about how obsessed we are with turning God into a person with, um, with hands and feet and a mouth and eyes. And um, turning God into that is, is I think, oversimplifying what God is and what God can be. I see uh, throughout the Bible, this discussion of love um, is complicated because there are four different kinds of love in the Bible that they refer to in the original language. Eros, which is the the sexual love, romantic love. Uh, Storge, which is um, familial love, like a mother to a child. Uh, Philia love, which is brotherly love or a friendship. Uh, And then agape love, which is a love that really only God can. Have This is the love of the creator for the creation um, or for humankind. Uh, In my head, it kind of feels a little bit like the love of um, an artist to their artwork. Um, So when when we're talking about love, it's important to keep in mind that we're not just talking about communal love, community love, but all these kinds of love.
0: Sure. I mean, it's like... When I mean, I, I'm not a uh, Greek text reader. I mean, I, I can do it a bit, but like, um, I, I we kind of just learn what we need to learn in seminary <laughs> and keep moving. At least for the Episcopalians, um, but it's um, this is a thing that like people talk about a lot. Like the the different kind of wh- how flat the word love is in English um, compared to how kind of expansive it is in some of these ancient languages. Um, and I think you're right, like the agapeic love, um, which is very kind of in the center of, I mean, in this um, same uh, letter, we have Paul talking about, like, referring to the, what, what we now call the Eucharist and this, like, um, moment of, like, trying to enact something like an agape feast um, in the context of what we now think of as Holy Communion um being this kind of like ritualizing of that thing and and the ritualizing is important because like you said it's like it's a notion of a love that all of us are kind of doomed to fail at (laughs) but that we have experienced because we've had this encounter with the incarnate word um this jesus who's kind of walked among us right and um (laughs) because it's it's the human condition uh, you know we talk about the the frailty of us, um, that we will, will kind of continue to run and stumble after that kind of love. And maybe, maybe occasionally some sort of gesture toward it by some grace. Um, but it is kind of a thing that we have to like categorize or like ritually hold or point to in art or something like that, that it it will always kind of escape us. That's what's so beautiful about it.
1: A lot of people, I think, um, when they're, Trying to reapproach faith or trying to come back to faith, we'll read passages in the Bible and uh, we'll feel like it is. Well, this is an absolute. I've already failed at this. I'm going to fail at this. And um, so, why do I even bother? Uh, what's the point? And to me, I read the Bible as um, something to strive towards. The rules, <clears throat> the rules that are in here, are not something that we are expected to be perfect at. Um, maybe people in the clergy probably get a little bit closer to, <laughs> to following these things, but, um, but you, you're actually are absolutely Paul, right. Paul
0: would say we're the ones that w- will be, will be judged harsher. So,
1: oh no. <laughs> Rethinking my plans to go to seminary.
0: Anybody who gets up and says like, uh, oh yeah, I've got this figured out. You better watch yourself. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Ever the contrarian. I love him. Um, but I think it's important to think about this as um, as not a set of of rules that if you fail at, you have failed God. God is forgiving. The whole point of Jesus coming down here and living as a human being uh, uh, with us and his death and resurrection were as a, a means of atoning for us, a, a means of, of, of allowing us to be forgiven. So don't be discouraged when you read something uh, like this that says, um, you know, and we'll get into this. That you must be patient and kind, and and not envious, and not boastful, and not arrogant, and not rude. It's not something that you need to always do. Um, it's something that you should be trying to do.
0: Yeah, we're not um, we're not talking about Luke today, but I, I'll I'll just say that you know that's if we're if we're going back to like foundational images of kind of christian faith or life it's like the other one is the other big one i think is the prodigal son and sort of that hinge point in luke 15 where like we learn that the nature of god is to be thrilled i mean overjoyed ecstatic to run to welcome someone who has failed and who has come home Um, and to give mercy, right. That's, that's, we learned that that's who God is.
1: That's part of the agape love is (laughs) that's the thing. Yeah. uh, Yeah. How, how stoked God is to have you back to be, to be with you again. And to no no matter what you're all right, dude, it's fine. He screwed up. It's fine. Um, that's, that's almost, I mean, kind of, I feel like fatherly as well, which is why I think that heavenly father language gets used so heavily is, um, This sort of um, all-forgiving, all-loving, it doesn't matter because you are my creation, like you came from me. Mm -hmm. Um, There is a little turn of phrase in the voice translation that I thought was interesting and I thought made maybe a little clearer, that last section in um, verse 3. And it says, uh, I could give all that I have to feed the poor. I could surrender my body to be burned as a martyr. If I do not live in love, I gain nothing by my selfless acts. So Paul's saying, even if you're, even if you're giving your entire body to to be sacrificed, but you don't have love, then it's pointless. Which is kind of um, like, damn, dude. I mean, I offered myself <laughs> yeah. up to be burnt here. Yeah,
0: yeah the challenges are kind of like. Uh, I mean, I'm even I am someone who kind of like trends toward a real materialist, like, well, well, did something happen or not? Did it work or not? You know, but Paul's like, actually your intentions really matter here. Mm-hmm. Uh, which
1: is interesting. It's not just the action of, uh, it's not the scope of the sacrifice that you're making. It's not the scope of your knowledge, um, or your education or, um, the scope of, um, uh, how you how you speak with people, how intelligent you are. Um, it's how you do it, not mm. how much you do it or how good you are at it, which gets us to our next section here in um, 1 Corinthians thirteen four, Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Um, Lofty, uh, <laughs> lofty yeah. expectations here.
0: Yeah, you know, and it's funny, like, how, uh, because this is read at weddings, um, how, like, it's like at, at the same time it's so lofty but it's also this is very familiar and like terrestrial in a way too. <laughs> <laughs> love love is patient love is kind you know um and it's one of those funny things you can kind of just uh toss into like a cultural exchange and like people know what you're talking about still it's maybe the one of the f- handful that are kind of left um in kind of are uh, are really quickly secularizing Western world that people might actually still know, so yeah. that's that's interesting on its own.
1: You know, it's almost like the way that it's been um, secularized and used at weddings so regularly is like um, so missing the point. Because if we talk about intentionality and like the 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 love behind an action. And, um, you're just, they're just going, all right, just two Corinthians, like, just take first Corinthians, let's just do that one. <laughs> like uh, choosing
0: off the, off the, uh, like, uh, the wedding planner menu. Yeah,
1: <laughs> <laughs> have, Like a prize wheel that they're spinning. <laughs> um, there's so much here and it's a shame that it, it is a shame. I think that, um, not that it's so popular, but that it's become this kind of like, okay, yeah, I've heard this before. Because if you really dig in here, it is an incredible way to describe love. Um, And it is one that, again, I think requires a level of perfection that human beings will always and forever fail at. Um, We are really good at being resentful. We're really good at at getting irritated. Um, Human beings as as we are, as imperfect as we are, Will tend towards failing at a good number of these, um, but I think what Paul is saying with that is that this is what we are. This is what this is what love is capable of. Um, this is what love can do. I, I'm
0: very interested in keeping the the frailty stuff kind of in the forefront because I think that's like I mean, especially like in my tradition, we because we've been so like a haven for people who have come from traditions who like Christian traditions, churches, whatever, that have like really harmed people in some pretty egregious ways. Like we kind of have just thrown out any notion of brokenness or (laughs) like, um, that people really still do hurt each other. Um, even after they managed to come out or get gay married or whatever, Mm -hmm. you know, (laughs) uh, it's like, so, but this, this is a great, like, um, this does actually, I think, point us not not just to the, the kind of like unachievable ideal, but also it is a sort of like it's 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 another it's another end of attention that we can always kind of refer to, like in our loving relationships. Like, am I being jealous? You know, am I am I being impatient? Am I? And it isn't sort of like this um, conviction tool, like to make me feel like shit all the time. As, as much as it is like as I learn to love someone or love better, you know, and that's like a process that is actually maybe part of the life of faith. Um, this is a reference point, um, that, that I, you know, it's, it's, it's not a thing to boast about. It does not insist on its own way. It doesn't, you know, all these things like kind of, kind of teach us. Um, and this is, this is 2000 years old. It's, we're, we're still
1: trying, (laughs) you know, Um, but the, the beauty of the Bible in general, too, is that this message is timeless. Mm-hmm. This message is so, it's so relevant now. And you're absolutely right. This is how we, I mean, even on a terrestrial level, on in, in our um, day-to-day, outside of our spiritual lives, we can use this as a guidebook to be a better person and a better Christian and a better lover or a better husband or wife or... um you know, son or daughter. Um, Mm -hmm. All of this is so, I mean, um, it's so much pulling from what Jesus said that if there's ever any, I think early on um, the first couple of episodes that I did, I felt uh, in hindsight, I feel a little guilty about because I kind of had this dismissive attitude about Paul early on um, because I thought, well, he was a Pharisee. Anyway, so you know, is what is he a bandwagon? Is he a bandwagon jumper? Is he, is he? Um, it, it, it seems like he's just trying to, um, keep, the the Christian Church Jewish in a way, and um, and I, I you know, so or that that was my thoughts early on. But the more I read him, the more I see how this is absolutely the Word of Christ. Like this came from what Jesus said and what Jesus did on Earth, and specifically Jesus, because a lot of this always forgiving, um, always um, loving God is a sort of a New Testament revelation and that God was a little bit different in the Old Testament. God was a little, he was a little bit testier.
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I definitely like, I, I, I am someone who has like a bit of an allergy to the, this is uh an old old heresy it's called it comes from a guy called marcion where like you kind of you you look back at the old testament god and you say okay there's nothing like uh this is just an angry sort of weird fake god and then there's like the real god who reveals (laughs) himself (laughs) and like loves us and you know whatever and it's like um i actually think i mean i i think it's just different emphases I mean, what you have in, and, and a, a very also very different ways of writing. I mean, there's this really imminent event to which the New Testament is, like, trying to, like, communicate, grapple with. Um, we're talking about communities of people with people that live in them that may have met the earthly Jesus. I mean, we're early enough at that point, right? Um, and then, like, the old testament thing is like the the, it's a it's a much more cosmic emphasis of like the holy other transcendent ground of being kind of way of talking about this thing whereas there's like this imminence of the person of jesus and the event of the what we say the christ event the kind of like rupture in space-time that he was (laughs) and it's and so it's like when so paul you know when he's writing to a community it's it's really trying to point at that and it's so interesting I'm, i hope i'm not rambling too much here but not at so all
1: no please it's really
0: interesting about like so he you know famously so he's so jewish of course um in so many ways but one one thing we know is his missionary journeys are the reason that i mean in in large part not exclusively but in, in large part um that thousands, thousands of Gentiles start getting interested in this, um, and and so, kind of comparing that with also knowing that he was not someone who ever met or knew the earthly Jesus, um, but both by his like mystic experience on the road to Damascus, but also then just like coming to be part of Christian community when he met Peter, um, you know these different early. Um, experiences he had of Christian community, the whole thing still like translated to him in such a way as he's able to write something so profoundly of Christ as this chunk of text we're talking about, um, which actually I think is, um, that, that gives me a lot of hope. Like maybe I can also not have met the earthly Jesus, but like that this stuff still
1: can ring the way that I would
0: hope it would in the human heart, you know?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And it is kind of a, a miraculous thing when you think about it, like what, what Paul was able to not just accomplish with his writing, but accomplish within the the, the church and, and grow the Christian church in a way that would not have happened if it weren't for him and and the and those that um that surrounded him. So I mean it's really incredible. And, um, and obviously he's a great writer <clears throat> and a great thinker. And he had a unique connection to God, one that I would love to have, you know, <laughs> one that, one that careful would be you,
0: careful what you wish for. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> the,
1: uh, the book humility and absolute surrender by Andrew Murray is like something that everyone should try to read at some point if they can. If you're interested in growing closer to God and and maybe understanding different perspectives on it. And um, there's a section in Absolute Surrender called God is Love. And it says, now, why is that the fruit of the Spirit is love? Because God is love. And what does that mean? It is the very nature and being of God to delight in communicating himself God has no selfishness. God keeps nothing to himself. God's nature is to be always giving in the sun and the moon and the stars. In every flower you see, it in every bird in the air, in every fish in the sea. God communicates life to his creatures. So in God's love is life. And I thought that was a really beautiful, um, beautiful passage. it's Obviously, uh, the way he's describing love and God's love is pulling from 1 Corinthians, I think
0: definitely it's it's desperate to give itself away always <laughs> it, it can't exist in a like you can't put it in a box it like love in this way has to be moving for it to be for it to even kind of make sense um it's it's like the or for, for it to have like um the content of this like what we're talking about I mean it makes me think of the self-emptying notion of, of Jesus, which is one of the examples we get from not just his life, but the way um, the writer of um, Philippians in the second chapter talks about um, Christ coming um, not to, that God comes to us um, in Christ. Um, Christ has equality with God, but doesn't regard it as something to boast about, but empties himself, taking the form of a slave. Um, that that's, that's constitutive of this, of this agape
1: love we're talking about. That God is, God is love and love exists to give. So God, yeah, God exists to give love to people by, by being this, I mean, what an incredible thing. I just got chills. What an incredible thing to, to, um, to be a part of what an incredible thing to feel, um, to accept God's love as it is, this sort of like fountain that will never stop flowing. Uh, we can always drink from it. We can always feel it, and all you have to do is accept it, and and welcome that love into your life. Like it's it's so easy. <laughs> So many people fight this.
0: <laughs> yeah, and and yet, isn't it so hard to put your guard down and just let somebody love you? Right.
1: So that's, I mean, it's, uh, some people in relationships struggle with that. So of course, there will be even more people in in their spiritual lives who will fight that urge to allow themselves to be loved unconditionally,
0: and even for good, for good reason. Even, but um, it's still ultimately at the end,
1: I think, self defeating. Yeah, it's self destructive. This is like this human urge to 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 take ourselves apart and to, um, let insecurity into our, into our minds and, and let insecurity into our relationships. So, you know, love, not love, not being, uh, envious or boastful or arrogant, um, or resentful. This is, um, something we do to ourselves too. It's not just something that we do in our relationships that, that can go, that can go badly. Well, we should probably keep reading because uh, I don't want to have to rush through this next section. Um, In 1 Corinthians 13, 8, love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reason like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. I'm gonna pause there because the next line is so powerful. But so I wanna I wanna take what we see in here in between eight and eleven. Paul is saying that love is more permanent than even prophecy. Um, love is more permanent than our language.
0: Yeah, it's it it sustains it. I mean, and this is again coming off of um, the previous chapter, I mean, he's talking about spiritual gifts and talking about like, okay, there's, there's all these different ways that you, um, by the power of the spirit, um, when you come into this, um, way of Christ, that there are all these different, I mean, and you know, it's, it goes to his language of the body, like that, that we all have sort of different roles, um, that we play. And yet we all, there's like a kind of, need for one another because it's like what's the like arm without the leg without the eye you know it's we all we all make up the body of Christ in this way um so he's talking about the different spiritual gifts that come from that and um but it's almost like then he has to shift to this again and to say again I mean, we're just sort of repeating ourselves but this like but don't forget like it's all it's all for naught <laughs> like for prophecies they will pass away for tongues they will cease knowledge it will pass away underneath all of it like the the deep theology is still just god is love
1: that is more permanent than anything else we do in the expression of religion in the practice of religion love is the primary foremost thing that we can and should do because it is the permanent thing that um prayer rituals, prophecies.
0: I love, so I I love Dorothy Day as a lot of people do. Um, And she has a bit in her, I think it's in her autobiography, which is called The Long Loneliness. Um, She says, um, you know, in her very kind of like uh, harsh contrarian way, but it's, it's wonderful. She, she says like, you know, people tell me, um, oh, these vain rituals of church life. Like, they don't, you know, it's, they don't mean anything. And she says, well, do you kiss your spouse uh, or your partner on the way out the door in the morning? It's like, yeah, well, it's like, is, is that, like, is doing that ritually every day, like, constitutive of the fullness of, like, the love that you, sh- in, like the history that you share? <laughs> oh, wow. Um, and it's like, it's like, no, but you do it because it points to the, the bigger thing that, like, can't be contained in a moment like that. And that's, that's in part, like, what liturgy and ritual do for us.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's like you end a conversation with a loved one by saying, I love you, because you want them to have that be the last thing that you said to them, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And it's an important ritual because of what it represents. Um, And the thing that it represents is the most important thing. That's incredible. This portion in 11 uh, when he said, "I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child," when I became a man, I gave up childish ways. What do you make of this line? How do you interpret this?
0: You know, I think he. I mean, I think for what we know about Paul, um, he he definitely thinks that there's a sense of like sense in which you can mature in the faith. So um, there's the kind of and you know this is this is more like 201 or 301, right? But like, there's, it's kind of like when you first join AA or something, it's like the, the way that we, the way that you come into it is to recognize your brokenness and your powerlessness. Um, but then further down the steps, maybe if that's like, if that's being a child, but, you know, still being a child of God, then later comes the, you know, searching moral inventory and making amends with people and whatever, you know, it's like sort of, that's, that's the maturity Right. So he, I think, is pointing to, you know, I, I am someone who has had my own journey in this thing, um, and I, I was a child at one point. Um, in his own context, I mean, what he says about himself is, you know, I, I thought I knew everything, even to the point of being murderous, you know, being, if I'm not mistaken, present for the first Christian martyrdom, right, um, for the Deacon Stephen. Um, and that self-assuredness was all just sort of childishness. I now have come to understand. Um, so it's, it's like, it's, it's a lot of things it's him recognizing or like taking on a posture of humility, but also kind of saying, you know, I really have come a long way here. And part of why I'm able to tell you this stuff about the love thing is not to hold it over your head, but to just say like, "I, I have walked the hard road of, what it means to try to understand this, and I hope you will, you know, you you messy Corinthians with your messy church <laughs> and all your kind of drama. They um, love drama. Yeah, they love. <laughs> they live for it. Um, understandably, <laughs> they but they um, but like this, this the it does point to this is not it. It doesn't end here.
1: There's 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 lots
0: of room to grow.
1: This, I think, is so it's an argument for spiritual maturity is what you're saying, like a growth yes. within within the spirit. And, and I think because when I first read it, I thought, well, yeah, obviously, he's just saying like, well, kids, kids are kids. And, and when you're a grown up, you have to put those childish things aside. But it's not just again, most of this stuff feels very general. But I think Paul's intent specifically originally when he wrote this was in faith. And you know, this is, uh, maturity in faith and, and patience and love in faith. Yeah. And the, and, and returning,
0: always returning to, I mean, a very, a very Christian and very sort of Catholic principle is like simplicity. Um, it's like the simplicity of something, just talking about love and keeping that in the front, the foreground, um, we'll get to the faith, hope, love. That's, you know, that's a like, that's kind of part of it too, but um, but returning to these just basic kind of virtue conversations I mean, like that's, that's, what's going to
1: keep you on the path of growth. Do you think so when, um, when he says in 10, when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. Is this a reference to, um, the final judgment or the the return of Jesus to the world? I tend to think so.
0: Yeah. Like a, like it's an eschatological gesture for sure. Um, because, Paul certainly thinks i mean what we know of him is he's he certainly thinks that we're talking any minute now you know that there there's sort of like the a notion of a second coming or consummation of all things um, and he's he's very kind of
1: forward about preaching that he does yeah he refers to that quite a bit and and we'll see that in in the next verse too but it's uh, it's interesting because I think as as love is like the required thing to to be a Christian to be a believer in in a follower of Christ, um, you also have to believe that he's coming back, right? Because if you're reading the Bible as as the truth, uh, then Revelations right there. So he's he's heavy on this topic. I think he he does talk a lot about, and I think at the time they were all thinking that it was imminent, and it's and it's sometimes strange to me to hear pastors um usually kind of more non-denominational people are more hung up on this topic but um to hear people still talking about the imminent return of Jesus like it didn't happen yesterday but by god it could be tomorrow <laughs> and and they've been saying this for 2000 years
0: yeah there's it's it's deep in the tradition, and you you have to figure out what you're going to do with it. I mean, uh, if you if you say the Nicene Creed, you know it's uh, you profess faith in the He will come again to judge the living and the dead, and His kingdom will have no end. Now, I think there's lots of different ways people have understood that through the literal millennia that we've been kicking it around, <laughs> but um, but there's like you have to figure out something you're going to do with it because you can't read the New Testament without Coming against it, and and understanding that that's part of the part of the world that the Bible comes out of is this like apocalyptic Judaism, um, which is one of the reasons it's so powerful. And it's like in its calls for justice, and um, its concern for the oppressed. I mean, it's it's this it's this apocalyptic tradition of Judaism that's kind of one of the matrices from which what we call Christianity now emerges, and it like gives it I think so much of its
1: power too. Right. You know? Yeah. It's the, the urgency comes from the fact that we will have someone to answer to, and it could be very soon. So we better fix all this shit that's messed up in this world. Right. We better, we better get this right because I don't want to be the one going, God, you know, I tried, but I just couldn't do it. I tried to, (laughs) I tried to get them to change their mind and they just wouldn't do it.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's 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 the Matthew twenty five thing. It's the when when he comes in in his glory to judge. What will it be about? It's well, did you did you see me in the poor and feed me and clothe me and visit me in prison? And I mean, again, we're back to like, it's pretty simple, <laughs> but isn't it prof- isn't it profoundly not simple?
1: Do, do you do you know? I mean, do you have an opinion on like why it seems that? the kind of eschatology fascination is more emphasized in Protestant non-denominational congregations versus the sort of the Catholic tradition doesn't seem to as heavily rely on that for like dramatic weight.
0: Right. Well, I mean, part of it is just that, I mean, if you're not, this isn't just the Roman church but sort of big or little c Catholicism, but also orthodoxy too. It's, it's more like it has just stood for so much longer that there's a much more like, um, cloudy, I think in a good way, kind of, um, expansive notion of it. Whereas, um, our Protestant movements as we've received them are just much younger. Um, and then a lot of them unfortunately have kind of taken it to be, you know, if you're trying to, um, reject the previous sect that you're in start a new one um and kind of have some uh weight of rhetoric um a good way to do that is to say we're the ones with the real truth and he's coming soon and you better get ready (laughs) right um which is not i don't mean to be totally cynical about it i think people um there's still, there's still a lot of really good thought that comes out of, um, kind of a more Protestant notion of these things that like, I think Catholics have learned from, um, over the last 500 years in a lot of good ways, but it's, it is kind of like, you're right. It, it's definitely, I mean, I grew up with that. Certainly. I grew I was one of those kids that like, sometimes I couldn't find my mom in the house and like, Oh God, did the rapture happen? <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, no, maybe that wasn't the most psychologically a healthy thing but
1: <laughs> there is there is a level of trauma I think that people who grew up in those kind of situations um that they'll always carry with them as this um terror uh for lack of a better word terror of uh, of the end of the world happening and and uh, getting left behind um mm-hmm. That's so funny when you said uh, the the rhetoric, uh, the weight of rhetoric, when you're um, trying to draw people away from the old church and say we have the truth. I was imagining literally Luther like pounding the, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> pounding the, the scroll on the door. Um, okay, so uh, the next section is sort of a very beautiful visual metaphor. Um, it is verse twelve. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. So I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. The language is kind of, uh, it turns a little bit oddly there. So I'm going to read the NRSV as well. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then we will see face to face. Now I know only in part, then I will know fully, even as I have been fully known and now faith Hope and love abide. These three, and the greatest of these is love. I went into 13 there. It's amazing to me how, like the NRSV in this particular section, in in other parts of the book, they seem to be saying very, uh, very different things. But in this particular section, they're virtually identical.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's one of those cases of like this is certain. Like the attention. I'm assuming this is the case, but like the attention on this because it's so well known. Um, there's been a. There's been more of a consensus across the different sets of translations about how
1: we're going to render this. I think that speaks to the clarity of of Paul's writing too. That yeah, there are many, many, many parts of the Bible where um, it feels like different translators were seeing these words and went, oh, well, this is what they're trying to say. And they can say not drastically different things, but sometimes very different things. And in this case, I'm not really sure there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of different ways to see how Paul is saying what he's saying.
0: Well, one thing we can definitely kind of look at is like, or think back to is it's sort of like we were saying about like, when you read Hebrew Bible, Old Testament, kind of texts and what they the kind of thing they're trying to do which is to emphasize this wholly other um transcendent um god of the universe right like very very zoomed out macro kind of notions of god um and and the tradition that um nobody sees god without dying um at that point. So Moses has like the closest experience that he has of of seeing God, which is to, um, after the burning bush episode, like have basically God pass by and for him to see the back of God as God makes the pass. And then for a period of time after that, having to cover his face because his face is like shining with the light. Right. Like, and so, so, right. So it's like, it, it points to this, like, that which we have had an experience of in this, um, experience of the Christ event, um, is, is like that, and we are still, like, seeing it through these, like, a, a, a dark mirror, a dirty mirror, a broken mirror, um, lenses that are clouded, um, but we still see it, and we have these, like, we have a notion in the tradition that it, like, could, be more clear, um, but probably not on this side of the veil. Right. Hmm. Um, but in the interim, we have these things that actually will, will, will get us there one day and their faith, hope and love. And the greatest is
1: love. That's beautiful. I I think that like, as far as um, you described it perfectly and the, the way that it's written is not as clear as far as um, if you if you take it in context, it's a little clearer. But often, again, this is a verse that's taken out of context. So when he says, "Now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face," is to say, in this world, this is how we will experience it. But when we are returned to God, when we um, when we either pass on or when Jesus returns, is when we will finally see that truth as as clearly as we possibly can as vivid as we possibly can
0: yeah and and to know to know god as god knows us which we can't even put language
1: around you know at this point exactly now i know in part then i shall know fully this little bit at the end even as i have been fully known that's as god has known us right right so Now, faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. And so the direction is pretty clear. You can be faithful, and you can be hopeful, but if you are not loving, you're not doing it right. Yeah, what's the point? (laughs) Yeah, at the risk of getting, I don't want to get into politics, but uh, I saw the, the, the Things that happened in D.C. this past week, um, them chanting, Christ the king, uh, Christ is king, Christ is king. And I thought, oh, that's kind of nice. It's beautiful. Um, but then they got angrier and angrier. <laughs> and I thought, you might have missed a step there. Um, well, king of, but, king of what? King of the U.S. military? King yeah, exactly. Of, you know, <laughs> it's
0: like, that doesn't sound like the guy I've read about in this book
1: it's um it's funny cuz it reminds me more of um the angry mobs that that wound up resulting in Jesus being killed than it does uh, remind me of his apostles and his followers yeah
0: and that's i mean and that's that's good that's actually good political theology i mean it's like the kind of um the useful chaos of the mob to like the greater powers that actually are totally indifferent to them uh, yeah. You know, it's, it's like what we see in the crucifixion of Jesus is, um, among other things, a consolidation of power for the Romans, right? It's like one less insurrectionary person, like, out here um, running his mouth and causing trouble. Um, and it actually has very little to do with the people who called for his crucifixion kind of in the frenzy of, of things.
1: They were pawns.
0: Largely. I mean, that's, that's one very like coherent way to read it. Um, And I think it speaks to kind of the chaos of um, the, the way everyone is interpreting this symbolically versus what sort of actually is happening kind of underneath it. Um,
1: It's been a weird week. Yeah, it's, it has been, but I think, um, you know, like I said, I, the purpose of this is not to get political, but the message is, love. Okay. (laughs) Like seriously, very clearly the message is love. We are to love one another um, because God has loved us. So let's carry that with us. Let's, let's follow that direction. Um, It's not easy. It's, it's actually kind of hard to be, to be loving and to be forgiving and to, to not hold grudges and to not, um, get angry, but Christ is asking us. It's, Christ is begging us. Strive yeah. for that, please. It will.
0: It will require a level of integrity that's going to mean you have to disagree with people or go against the grain quite a bit.
1: The um, self control is 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 not our strong suit. I don't think we have an amazing intellect as humans. We have um, self consciousness and we have awareness, and, and there's so many beautiful things about being a human. Our our minds are formed by God in this incredible way, but we have a lot of things that we can work on.
0: Well, while we're still at it, faith, hope, and love. <laughs> yes,
1: while we're at it. Um, well, thank you so much. This was uh, this was a lovely conversation. I'm so glad that you um, that you came on to discuss this with me. I really appreciate it.
0: I'm so glad you're doing this. It's, uh, it's really great. Like, let's just open the Bible,
1: you know? (laughs) Thank you. Is there anything that you want to uh, plug before you go? (laughs)
0: It's like, it's like I was saying earlier, my brand is, you know, priest of the church. So, um, (laughs) if you're curious about any of this, come find us at church.
1: (laughs) Yes. Thank you, Father Spencer. Um, The poem this week uh, that I selected uh, is by Charles Bukowski. The, uh, The book is Slouching Toward Nirvana, and the poem is called In This Place. There are the dead, the deadly, and the dying. There is the cross, the builders of the cross, and the burners of the cross. The pattern of my life forms like a cheap shadow on the wall before me. My love, what is left of it? Now must crawl to wherever it can crawl The strongest know that death is final and the happiest are those gifted with the shortest journey Thanks everybody Love love is gonna lead you by the hand Into a wide and soundless place
0: Now we see things As in a mirror dimly Then we shall see
1: each other face